Hi, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about the user experience of cities, the social value of our places, and how to create great spaces between the buildings. Jane Ritterford co-founded Global Generation in 2004, an organization that brings different community members together. She has more than 25 years of experience in working with children and young people, from the war-torn areas of the Balkans to New Zealand, Tanzania, and London. More recently, she founded the Skip Garden in King's Cross and is now working on-site in Canada Water on the Paper Garden. That's where she met up with the developer's resident anthropologist and social researcher, Natasha Kapoor, to talk about her work. Her interest in young people and projects has been a consistent thread throughout her working life. I'm Jane Ridderford, founding director of Global Generation. Hi, Jane. Um, well, welcome to the Developer Podcast. I'm Natasha Kapoor, anthropologist and social researcher, and today I'm speaking to Jane Ridford of Global Generation here in Canada Water. Hi, Jane. Hi. Hi. Can you tell me a little bit about Global Generation and the work that you do here? Yeah, um, Global Generation is an environmental education charity and we, um, uh, well, our core, I guess our two primary aims are to give people of all ages, children, young people and adults, experiences of that wild spirit of nature, wherever that is, in the middle of the countryside or but particularly in the heart of the city. Um, and also to support particularly children and young people to fulfill their potential so they can be catalysts for positive social and environmental change. And I guess I would say shorthand for all of that is something about um, our work is, especially in cities, is to penetrate the concrete and to, whether that's in places or in people, and to bring out the life beneath the concrete, uh, whether that's in the soil or hearts and minds. Um, yeah. And can you tell me more about Paper Garden and where we are right now? Yeah, the Paper Garden, we, um, uh, well, we're on the edge of the Canada Water Master Plan, which is going through planning permission right now. And we're actually in a, well, what was a dank and musty tool store for the Daily Mail print works. And we were shown this space um, probably just over two years ago because I knew Roger Madeline because our first garden was, was the Skip Garden in King's Cross. So we'd worked on the King's Cross development for two, uh, since 2009 and we're still there. But because of that experience, Roger asked if I would head south with our band of um, garden makers and community builders, but if we would come south and do something south of the river in Canada Water. And I was quite tentative at first. I lived just up the road from King's Cross and not local to the area, and I know what it feels like to have people parachuting in with bright ideas about what should be done but I think in Roger, Roger's wisdom he gave us a lot of room and a lot of time and I met a lot of 
different local people and they seemed really interested in this idea of how we work, which is, I like to call it on the outside of the inside. So we don't work entirely for the developer, British land, um, but we are funded by them and hopefully our critical friends as well. And, um, and we're funded in different, through different sources. So anyway, it seemed like a good idea to begin, but where to begin was the whole question and especially pre-planning. And um, then we were shown the print works. When we first, it was just when people were starting to notice the print works, I think, you know, it really wasn't on the radar until about two and a half years ago. And, um, and then we walked in and we were shown the press halls and th they were pretty amazing. But it was very clear <laughs> to me no children had ever been in there. And I guess you could say our interest in um, connecting people to the natural world, shorthand for that, you might talk about the spirit of the forest, really. And it was obvious the spirit of the forest had never made its way into the Daily Mail print works. And we were taken along darkened corridors and then down into this place here, which really, as I said at the time, was really a dank and musty tool store with no windows, just the metal shutter. And um, then the guy who was showing us around uh, suddenly said, well, we thought this could be a good home for the community. And my heart sank. I thought, oh God, you've got to be kidding. But I was with um, the woman you just met outside, Sue Thomas, who's an artist and a maker and works with us. And she, who normally never says anything in these kind of situations, she suddenly perked up and said, I think we could do something with this. And so we did, and it was to become, we thought it could be a paper garden in honour of the history of the area, but also with the promise of children and young people would work on and eventually it would come to life as a real garden and it would spread out into the car park and then eventually, as once the new development was built, we knew that there was an opportunity for us to work closely with the landscape architects and children and young people would be involved in creating pockets of gardens in the public spaces. And so that's what's happened over um, the paper garden workshop has come to life, as you can see, and we are now surrounding us as a life-size paper forest and we're in a woven paper yurt and sitting at a table and a paper table and on cardboard stools all of it being worked on by children and young people and alongside the things we've made we have developed a labyrinth of stories that um, both mythical stories and culturally historic stories that um, and I guess stories are what have brought magic to the garden and meaning to the changing of the seasons and in a way uh, helping us grow a kind of mytho uh, mythos behind, um, behind what will um, yeah, hopefully bring some heart and soul to what could be a very sterile process of creating a new
development in the middle of London. So it's been a, around two years yeah. in development, the paper garden, and as yeah. you say, um, you have been at Skip Garden in King's yeah. Cross for 10 years. Uh, yes, yeah, since, uh, well, yes, yeah, since 2009, yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, your own um, process of, of learning and some of the things that you, um, you know, how similar or different are the Skip Garden versus the Paper Garden models of community um, outreach and development? Well, I think one of the biggest learnings is we've got to be embodying ourselves and living ourselves what we're purporting to do in the wider community, um, whether that's with children and young people or all the different stakeholders one engages with on this kind of thing, you know, Broadgate and the service teams and the developers and the architects um, and the teachers and so but are we as an organization having community between us so um, on day one of coming here we had the Bunsen burner out and we were cooking lunch and now you see we've got kitchen and we cook and eat and have lunch every day and um, actually so there's that um, but also another thing we've learned, we've grown as an organisation and now we operate in three different areas, Canada Water, King's Cross and Euston. And each place is different. And it's so we've just kind of realised this. We can't operate as some kind of head office having these outreach projects with the Skip Garden as the mothership with these outreach projects in other places. Each place needs to be locally specific and responding to the needs that are there. So we talk about now each locality has to work like a local ecosystem that's very much place-based and with a little dedicated team to that place. And whilst we can have our principles like this notion of I, we and the planet and the work being both practical and reflective and cross-disciplinary. Um, it's still, yeah, like here in the paper garden, we're doing a lot more um, art and design and making and then we do in King's Cross, for example. It's just where it is. And in Regent's Place, uh, that's an already established development. Mm -hmm. So suddenly we've developed this kind of nomadic way of working where we have a big tent that we set up in the bottom of office buildings. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of nest to fly out from. So there's just different things. And here we're working a lot more with primary school children and in King's Cross, we work a lot more with secondary school. So, um, yeah. So, um, I really love the way um, the paper garden is described on your website. And I just wanted to read out a little bit of it for, for the listeners. Um, the paper garden is a collaborative seedbed in which to nurture creativity and community. Young people learn from older people. Older people learn from young people. And all of us learn from nature. Ideas grown in the paper garden, based in what was the Daily Mail print works, will inform parts of the public realm in changing areas of Canada water. Um, and I just love, I just love the way that it's, um, 
you know, the relationship between the people in the surrounding communities are then kind of being almost harnessed to then um, help influence how the development takes place in, in areas of, of, the pub, of the public realm. Can you tell me a little bit about the sort of decision-making process that is involved in actually taking the ideas and taking the kind of creativity and inspiration that is coming from your workshops and having it influence the yeah. structural design of the development? So it's not like everyone puts their ideas forward and we have some kind of community consultation and we go to a vote. Mm. We, saying it's a creative seedbed, there is, um, yeah, we have a kind of workshop process over time where stories come out. We tell stories, we create stories, combining kind of mythical stories and the stories of the people who have come. Like we met older people here and one of them, uh, she collected blackberries uh, from here as a child to make jams. In part of our garden out there, there's a whole area dedicated to the different kinds of plants you make jam out of. So now definitely food growing and jam making will be part of what is in our kind of, um, one of the things we do. So actually having time, not wayfinding, not doing it all, planning it all in advance. Um, it's then seeing what sticks in the stories that continue to be told, what shows up in the kind of seasonal rituals and celebrations that we do. Um, yeah, it's a much more organic process. Um, yeah, and that's why I genuinely mean it's a creative seedbed creating the conditions, sowing lots of seeds, and then seeing what seeds come up, which is not actually through a, um, a rational logic process. It's bringing in lots and lots of different ways of knowing what are the, the patterns and the designs that show up in the clay tiles that children are making. And we don't, so far, we don't have, we don't sit down and do some kind of rational analysis of the whole thing what suddenly sparks in the imagination of the um, landscape architects who are designing the public realm? Where do we see the enthusiasm coming in them and then harnessing that, like the clay? That was it. There's a guy who's heading it up for Townsend and he's a great guy, but he's a bit enigmatic, hard to read, you know? And then suddenly he was like really captivated and on fire about all the clay stuff. And similarly, we did a whole project around seeds and collecting seeds from, um, a, a, you know, the communities have moved into the area. And then he was like, oh, could we have a seed bank? And then there's an ongoing idea, what would a contemporary botanic garden be? Which isn't a botanic garden from the plant hunters who've gone out to different parts of the world. What about the stories of the plants of people who've moved into the area? So the decision making is, yeah, it's a, in a way a lot more tacit, and it comes through the storylines. What is that ongoing? Um, involvement because I mean in some situations in some... it's a very frustrating answer I've given you no, no, I realize it's, it's it's not frustrating at all but I think what I'm I'm trying to understand how does how do the people at British land um, 
how, do, how does the how does the creativity flow into that? How level? do they know? Yeah, how do they well, know? Well, by us working in a really vertically integrated way. Okay. So, two weeks ago, um, I was involved in doing. Um, yeah, they said, would I come and? They had their board, the executive committee board had a, a retreat out in Hampshire, and. Um, they wanted to spend the, a day on how do you grow vibrant communities. And instead of getting some so-called specialist, they well, they did have one guy from WorkTech who actually knows a lot about what he's doing, about how to create a guy called Jeremy. Oh, gosh, I can't remember his last name off the top of my head. Anyway, he did a great, he had a lot to offer. But then they had me just sharing our experiences of what we're doing on the ground. And I just told them a bunch of stories. And then they actually ended up staying for the morning and part of the lunch discussion. And it was so nice to hear was a group of people who are handling, you know, probably lots of money and lots of responsibility, but just to feel that they were going, look, we don't really know. We don't really have all the answers. And they were willing to enter into a dialogue and know that this is not a formula that you can... Um, is that Catherine or Maisha? Oh, Catherine, hi. Do you want to come and say hello? So um, I'm Catherine Olinka. Nice to meet you. Um, I got involved with the Paper Garden about two and a half years ago now. Uh, it's gone really quickly, actually. Um, and it was kind of like an accident because... Um, it was some guys from my sixth form at the time that were literally just around Canada Water and they saw the stuff that Emma and Jane were doing there and they kind of just asked a bit of questions like what's going on and they came back because we were all on the leadership team and they came back and told us guys like there's this like thing going on here like 10 minutes down the road from school you know and like there's an opportunity to like get involved and learn more about like the planet like learn more about the stuff that you see day to day do you know what I mean the stuff that you don't actually get to learn at school um and yeah it was really cool just got involved from then um became the generator on the generator program and then literally got involved in like so many different things like I had like a little internship placement here like last summer right guys yeah last summer I've done some really cool stuff um we've been involved with like so many different like architects and stuff um different firms um can you give me an example of kind of one of the things that uh, you've done where um um you, one of the things you've enjoyed enjoyed working on or, or or kind of benefited from yeah sure um i liked one example is a bit hard oh okay, cool. any <laughs> your favorite freestyle, freestyle. cool yeah. yeah um there was actually one where i was part of this collaboration project with some artists um, from another sixth form called King's Dale. Um, and like we came here and like we were all trying to use like reusable materials to present our thoughts like through art, obviously it's artists do. Um, and it was really cool because everyone came here and like they saw all the space and they saw that we used like reusable material like the cardboard here, the paper from print works um, and a lot of the plants as well that we grow. And it was nice to incorporate that into what we were doing. So like even how like here like we grow stuff together here and at the other site in Skip Garden. Like we grow stuff and um a lot of it is like vegetables and stuff and we'd often like incorporate that into our meals that we have and usually share it together. And it's really cool because even in that meal it's not just like sharing what we've done but also sharing like our heritage in a sense. Yeah. So that's been cool. And how do you feel um has 
is this is this sort of a contained world, or do you feel like your experiences here then have an impact on the rest of your life or the outside world? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a contained world. Um, I'd say it was a different perspective for me, like coming in, like not being used to, I guess, being more conscious about your surroundings in a sense, and not even just conscious in a sense of knowing what's around you, but also knowing the ex different experiences that are around you, like the different lifestyles. Um, so being part of like Global Gen and coming in and seeing all different ways, like even things, I don't know, that you're that you hear like reusable and um, use this more recycle actually like putting that into practice like even growing stuff and working together like seeing how different works of different people's hands can like cultivate to like something bigger it was like so meaningful to see do you know what I mean mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so so what's what's been your um your experiences working with um, the developer or the business people that are here um, developing this area? Um, I'll say it's been interesting because it's, I've definitely valued the experiences to be like in meetings with people like from um, Time and Talents, from like um, Southern Council and stuff and hearing like their plans about the Canada Water Master Plan project and having the opportunity to then talk to them about what I think and how I felt like, well, not just, well, I, how I felt like part of my history in Bermondsey was kind of going to go away with the new plan, if that makes sense. But I think it was nice to hear that from their perspective, it's more of a continuation and a rebuilding of that culture. So taking the essence of it, but then building it into something that I guess can carry forward into the future. And do you think, um, do you think Paper Garden is making, sort of, um, is helping to make that difference? Because you know, often what happens with developments is that, that there are consultations with the local communities. So the developer will go in and say, "These are our plans," and then they'll listen to um, the community about their concerns, or perhaps take ideas or um, just an understanding of, of where they're coming from but then but then often the community's left feeling like well nothing really happened they just mm -hmm. kind of did what they wanted to do anyways and I guess I'm trying to understand does does something like paper garden um, change that process in any way does it make you feel like they're more likely to take your ideas on board does it feel more like you're designing with them um, and being heard and listened to and actually seeing differences mm. I would say from my perspective, I, I do think so, because we've actually had like meetings with like some of the actual architects that are working on the project, like come in, sit down, explain to us like what they're gonna do and stuff, or how and how like ask us like how we think about it. Um, and it's also been not even just like with us, like me as a generator, but also with like other students that have come through from like even just like a work experience placement for like a week, but even just because they're connected to Canada or by, I don't know, their schools or where they grew up, because they're still connected through that community, they were also given the opportunity, which was really nice. And I also like the fact that they were quite open to the questions that we had. So like a lot of people, a lot of the younger students were a lot more, in a sense, confrontational than I was in my questions that I was posing and stuff. But it was, I think it was good that they answered it respectfully, as well as having in mind 
the concerns for, I guess, like how I mentioned earlier about keeping that sense of um, heritage of the area. So how do you, how, I mean, I know this is a tough question to answer because we're at such early stages of the development mm -hmm. process, but what are the concerns of the community? What are the things that are, what, what were those questions that those kids were asking that were confrontational? You know, what are people willing to fight for and make sure that they get right as things move forward? I think a lot of people, um, well, a lot of them were asking, because not a lot of them were from like high earning income homes. So it was more of things like, where are we going to live? Like where where are we going to put our kids when it's our time? Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's so crazy to think that people that were, and it, like they were like 15 years old, like they're asking questions like, what about our kids' futures? And it was really refreshing because you don't, I guess it's not like in politics, obviously we know there's obviously a legal age to vote and stuff like that and a, le a legal age to actually properly be able to give your opinion. So even just being that young and having, even if it is just like a little moment or, or a little bit of a say, it feels kind of rewarding, even if right now we can't see the impact, but it's nice to know that hopefully they would have considered what we said. Thank you. Cool. That's great. How do you know it's working? Well, only time will tell if it's working. I don't think we can fully know now, um, but, and, um, Uh, we're not working with everybody in the community. I mean, as much as we would like to, I think it's more about going deep than rather than wide, and that will have its own effect over time. So children and young people are our through line, and they will grow and change. Like you just interviewed Catherine, one of our young people. She will cause ripples in the circles she's involved with. Um, but I do know that it's got a good chance of having an effect because we've been taken very seriously. I say that we've been taken into the subsoil by um, particularly Roger and then Roger Madeline, who's heading up the development here and those around him. Um, there's a lot of developers I wouldn't work with, but I work with, um, chose to work with him and his colleagues because of the level of respect. So he had a, an example of this. He had a, a like an away, um, a residential for a couple of days for the core master planners and of the architecture and the landscape architecture. Um, and we all went down to the Eden project. He also invited me. And, um, and I felt like that was kind of indicative that he saw this work in the wider community as foundational to bringing heart and soul to the place and then I was at a roundtable discussion with him recently for some publication and he you know he had allies in Morrison the landscape I mean the architecture master planners and other people I was there and I kind of spoke up and said well I feel maybe we can could be creating a change for the public realm which is, I said, I don't pretend that we're having any kind of a dent on the buildings. And he said, Jane, you really underestimate your impact. Because of the way you've worked with us, we're really thinking about how we can make the buildings more porous. How can we enable the community to come in? Could we have community gardens on the roof and enable some 
passage through those really impenetrable fortresses that are really seen as out of bounds by so many people. And um, yeah, it was good to hear him say that. And I, so I think part of this work we're doing is a trust building exercise that um, uh, going and a relationship building exercise and for the you know the people that hold the money and the power to see well actually to do real things we really need to learn to, from others and we need to learn to work together but we also there's something like you have some of those architects are now involved they volunteer on our workshops not just as oh we'll do our little bit for the community but also to, there's a kind of spontaneity that comes through as you know you've got children yourself confronted with lots of materials to create a 3D interpretation of something or creating patterns on clay there's something they work in a different way and it, I think it free it gives permission and frees up a different kind of spirit in adults that's why I said our job is bringing out the life beneath the concrete in adults giving you know the corporatized world to step beyond the straitjacket of how they're meant to be and you could say also, you know, the whole design process, which is so governed by, you know, the cost analysis at the end and budgets. But there's something else between all of that. So when, so when you have someone like Roger Madeline as mm. your champion, mm. I can see how great things can happen. Mm. What happens when your champion is no longer there? And really so, difficult. So it has been our job since we've been here to um, create relationships the whole way through the organisation. And he might be behind something, but actually if the people on the ground aren't behind it, it's not going to work. And I mean, we have a similar simula uh, situation in another already established development. It's called Regent's Place. And you know, when we first arrived there, I was like, what the hell are we doing here? It feels like you're in the jaws of the corporate dragon. But the people who are now involved in leading that development and the service teams on the ground, they're really great people. And there's a woman called Juliet Morgan, and um, she's a real visionary. I'd say she's got, she stands comfortably in both worlds. She's very, obviously, very agile in the corporate world, but I think one of her feet is also in the belly of the earth. And she, I call her the wise witch. <laughs> and um, <laughs> she, you know, she, I, I yeah, she, we're, I was there because we want to back her vision, mm -hmm. which is a very human vision. But even if with her at our back, our work would never work if we weren't, didn't really have the service teams on board, the broad gates of this life. So our, we've been working really closely with them. And in order to do that, children and young people are the conduit and the key. They bring out the heart and people. So it is about working in this, you know, and I mean, I'm involved, like I was involved in working on the workshop today, storytelling with, eight-year-olds in the yurt and then tomorrow I might be sitting at the board table with some other people. I think it's about actually being able to have these conversations the whole way through an organisation which is quite 
challenging because these corporates are so kind of hierarchically divided and in a way you have to travel through the whole of the hierarchy. You know, in an ideal world, <clears throat> the way that community gets discussed, the way that people get discussed mm. in the development world is, is very much, is nowadays, is very much kind of, you know, there's, people understand that it's incredibly important to design for people. It, mm. is, it isn't just about putting up some buildings. Mm. We need to think about who's going to be using those buildings and, um, and over the long term as well. Mm. I guess I'm wondering, is, are we getting to a place where someone such as yourself is on the board, not just invited to talk to the board, but is actually yeah, at that level. Maybe. How far are we from, from Pro that moment? Probably a long way, but probably it's something like getting women on boards. It took a long way, mm. time. And, um, but it's a really interesting, and I think you also have to have a uh, go beyond the us and them mentality. You really have to, because it's never going to work. I mean, local communities can be as problematic as anything. There is, you know, there's so many divisions amongst themselves. And as I said to you earlier, I was quite tentative because we're not local to this area. But maybe, I don't know, we're finding out, maybe there is a benefit that we're not from the local area and that can help. I don't know. I, I just think it's tricky territory and I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But I think you have to have individuals interested in... Um, well, I would say the success of the work if something comes out that none of us can already imagine. And it's what comes out in the space between the us and the them, if you like, in a... Um, uh, in this in-between space. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't want to sound too vague, but I'm... Or maybe an example um, Well, of when that has happened. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, I mean, all of it is an example. The King's Cross Skip Garden was never meant to be a permanent thing. It was always a temporary pop-up thing. But actually, now it is... It was never designed into the master plan. Now, actually, the developers have given, allocated a piece of permanent site for it. Um, it was an area that was dedicated as a conservation area, but it will be permanently embedded into the scheme in the long run. Um, so um, here, we could never have imagined involving children and young people in the co-creation of the public spaces. That wasn't our idea. It came out of the landscape architects actually recognising that there was something that they could never come up with that children and young people can. So it was in a way, the work is about finding excuses, low threshold excuses to begin, to get everyone into the same ring together, to get everyone eating together, getting their hands dirty together and then catching the sparks of interest that come out between people. That's why I say it's a wayfinding approach. Now, I don't think it could ever work if I was already coming in with my grinding my axe of what I wanted, we wanted to happen. Um, and also, like at the beginning of the King's Cross process, Roger will describe, he was paranoid about how letting us in, would we move on? You know, he'd been in a situation with the, the Almeida Theatre where he'd given them a piece of um, 
some temporary site and then they needed to do the development and then there was a public outcry and campaigning. So we always knew from the get-go that our survival was being on nimble and being flexible. And it's a delicate line. Some people could say we've been used by the developers for a good story. And I think we always have to hold that on our shoulder. Are we being used or are we really being listened to? And um, it's a fine line. And, and I think, again, only time will tell. But opportunities to tell the whole story in an can we find a way beyond confrontation but that is more in the spirit of dialogue and inquiry and perhaps as a human species participation is something we all have to learn and dialogue and inquiry mm -hmm. and I could go on about that for it, but I won't but <laughs> sure um, um maybe maybe since does that make sense absolutely that was mm. really good I mean that is I think that is the question is is I never even thought about that myself. Should we be on the board? You know, I don't know. But it was nice to, you know, even just to spend the morning. I don't think they'd planned on me. They'd planned, I was invited for mm. 10 minutes mm. and then I spent the whole morning and lunch. And then I learned a lot from them. Mm. I, by, I, I thought, yeah, I, we, you know, people doing the kind of work I do, we need to know mm all the challenges and constraints. So there is something about cultivating empathy and the ability to hold multiple perspectives and stand in each other's shoes, which, yeah, arguably that's what we need to do as a human species. I think so. And I think that's why I asked the question, because at the end of the day, you know, while there's the work that I think you do is incredibly inspiring and can inform so much of the development in a positive way, when, you know, I want to rest assured that when push comes to shove and, you know, people are looking at the final, you know, the bottom line, that that's not the first thing that gets cut. And I think a place at the table enables, is like a true commitment to the role of people who are creating community and thinking about those things and using, like you say, a proper philosophy and approach um, to, to open up a place mm. and open mm. up kind of the dialogue and the creativity that every place has within it. Um, well, it, I mean, but, the cynic would say a lot of community building initiatives that developers are putting in place are box ticking exercises. Oh, loads of them are, the loads of them are. And I wouldn't, um, and that's, you know, we've said no to a few, quite a few, few developers. We're not on a roll up, scale out thing. I'd rather do real work and set precedents by doing real work and say no to people who are not doing real work. Mm. I can think of three examples where we've I've said, no, we can't do cosmetic work or you're not ready to work with us in the way we want to work. And it's not just about those inspirational figures like the Rogers and the Juliets. It's also the people around them. Um, and I won't name them all, but there are that's and this gosh how do you again tacit knowledge it's a gut feeling if you feel someone's speaking bullshit or they're actually really taking you seriously um can you tell me a little bit more about how uh the paper garden is funded yeah 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 i think the way we're funded probably tells a whole story in itself um we were 
we're probably we always want to be kind of no more than 50% funded from the developer funding um, that enables us to be a critical friend and not entirely dependent on them and work in the wider community and do work that we want to do and feel is important so we're not a client in that sense um, but then the developer money comes from different sources actually it's a relatively well um, and may um, not the primary percentage of it I'll start that again sure. um, uh, some of it is from your typical community pot um, and then there's another part of it which is more strategic funding from uh, either whether it's the public realm pot or um, I don't know a number of different budgets that and and it comes in the form of a retain a monthly retainer and then that has enabled me to um, us to yeah be up it's a comes closer to your sitting at the top table it enables us to have all these conversations be part of all the background work think about write about the work think about the work if you like in a philosophical way um, so it's all the invisible sides of what makes this happen and so often uh, community organizations are paid for their delivery of specific projects but there's all the glue in between and um, you need and it, that retainer has also just enabled us to grow the paper garden as a place and invite those architects those different people for I cook lunch on a Friday come for lunch and just it enables all of that to happen um, which in a way is where the real work happens but if we didn't have the resource to do it or we'd be busy thinking about oh, how many numbers of children are we getting through and what postcode do they come from and all of that. Um, the real roots of the work is having real conversations, building real um, relationships, growing a vision together. Um, and if the work is just about engaging X number of young people or um, just the community delivery, uh, then, then what we have to offer would just be treated as a box on a spreadsheet. And I don't think it would really have the power to change hearts and minds and also to work in a genuine collaboration with others and growing a vision that none of us know actually what it will look like in the end. But at least what we can do is try and create the right soil from which healthy plants will grow, both literally and metaphorically. So what kind of person do you think it takes to do this type of work? Um, I think it takes someone who is curious about how other people think and how other people who are in a different circumstance work. So you could say is really interested in learning how to, what does it mean to hold different and sometimes conflicting worldviews and to still find the connection between them all. Um, so there is a process of finding a natural logic 
I think it takes a person who um, is interested in however, whatever words they put to it, a bigger sense of wholeness. And despite all the kind of visible difference between us, there is a sense that we're all part of a bigger whole. Um, takes a person who's not afraid of stand, yeah, standing in different circumstances. So maybe standing in silence in the forest and standing in the gritty cut and thrust of business and yeah, working with five-year-olds and 50-year-olds. So there's all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, and then also it takes a person who's not freaked out by standing in the unknown and uncertainty and is willing to way find and feel their way into what might be possible. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take a person who likes to follow a handbook. I mean, these are these are real skills, and I wonder are they are they the types of things that you think are necessary in order to design um, better cities, healthier cities, healthier places for us all to live um, and be. Yeah, I'm. I think so, and I, I think there's. I mean, a growing recognition. There's a new book that's just come out, which I can't remember its name, but recognition that yeah, the role of artists and storytellers I think perhaps there's a more of a revival in that but I think you need artists and storytellers that are also really grounded in um, enterprise and business and so it's kind of sometimes I feel like I'm a split person I like have a um, I sometimes feel half my brain is a spreadsheet and the other half is storylines I literally do and, and um, um, I see that you're you're offering a master's in that. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are offering um, an action research based uh, master's. It's an improv, so um, in community based regeneration that we're doing in collaboration with Middlesex University. But um, I'm running the program, and uh, with it. It's we're just a, t a tiny cohort, so we have up to 10 students who would be working at, on their own projects and inquiring into what they're doing in the broader field of community-based regeneration. So in our first cohort, we have a real range of participants, everything from a community gardener to someone who was former deputy chief executive of Islington Council, to a storyteller um, and community engagement person out at Wembley, to a pretty radical vicar, so um, to a primary school teacher. So, but in, they are all learning the skills of action research, which is very aligned to our, our I, we in the planet based approach. So they're learning to um, work with lots of different ways of knowing to inquire into themselves, to work in a participatory way with others and to do practical things in the world that make a difference. So you could say the inner, outer and the collective. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll be doing the beginning the next cohort in 2020. It's a two-year part-time master's.
This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer. Produced by Simon Mercer. With music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at at TC Murray. For more podcasts, visit us at thedeveloper.live.